Hello, thanks for joining us on the latest edition of Astronomy Daily. I'm your host, Andrew Dunkley. Great to have your company. Today, we're going to be looking at wetland loss in Louisiana and how that's being monitored. There's been a smashing solar storm and the universe isn't as dark as we thought. And joining me as always to keep us up to date with the news is our AI reporter, Hallie. Hi, Hallie. How are you? Hi, Andrew. Any roost loose in your top paddock? Oh, I see you've been studying the uh, the, the Australian vernacular. Uh, no, all is well. All my faculties are where they should be. At least I think so. Maybe I'm not a good judge. Uh, what about you? How are things there? It's all good here in the ether. Just counting my cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. Um, are you doing well? Or, you know, I don't want to ask too much. I don't want to be, you know... Too nosy. All I'll say is that it's not time to retire just yet. Ah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll double your salary. How does that sound? Nice try. I thought you'd appreciate that. Uh, how about we get up to date with the news? The Hubble Space Telescope has witnessed the death throes of a very distant quarkalapse supernova, one that occurred more than 11 billion years ago. Astronomers found evidence of that explosion in archival data while looking for transient events in the distant universe. Those faint flickers often turn out to be something as common as a star dimming and brightening, or as spectacular as the destruction of a star, but in this case it was something much more exciting. The image shows a scene of destruction but there was something more interesting. The event was captured via three different views thanks to gravitational lensing. These explosions happen so quickly that spotting the earliest onset is incredibly fortuitous. According to Wen Lai Chen, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Minnesota, it is quite rare that a supernova can be detected at a very early stage because that stage is really short. It only lasts for hours to a few days, and it can be easily missed even for a nearby detection. In the same exposure, we are able to see a sequence of the images, like multiple faces of a supernova. The Arecibo Observatory, located in Puerto Rico, was the world's second-largest single-dish radio telescope until its sudden collapse in December 2020. Despite strong support from the astronomy community to build a replacement facility, the National Science Foundation determined in 2022 it would not rebuild the iconic telescope, but it's now been revealed that it will leave a long legacy of achievement. Arecibo contributed an astounding catalogue of astronomy work, including contributions that led to two Nobel Prizes, during its half-century in operation. But it is perhaps most famous for being the site of the huge search for extraterrestrial intelligence SETI message, directed at the globular cluster M13 in 1974. Besides its scientific work, Arecibo was the location of a climactic fight in GoldenEye, a 1995 James Bond film starring Pierce Brosnan. It also featured in Contact, a 1997 film based on a novel by Carl Sagan. In a 2021 presentation at the 52nd Lunar and Planetary Science Conference, LPSC, presenters wrote that Arecibo left an indelible mark on planetary science, radio astronomy, and space and atmospheric sciences. China's next-generation rocket to carry humans is expected to make its maiden flight around 2027, According to project manager Zhao Xinghua, a senior rocket designer and head of the China Academy of Launch Vehicle Technologies Rocket Development Department, he said the new rocket, which has yet to be named, 
is an important backbone in China's ambitious plan to place its astronauts on the moon. Zhao said that the new rocket will be about 90 meters tall, with a diameter of 5 meters, which means it will be almost twice as tall as the Long March 5th, currently the biggest in China's rocket family. With a core booster and two side boosters, the rocket's liftoff weight will be 2,187 metric tons, twice as heavy as the Long March 5th. The craft will be capable of carrying spacecraft weighing about 27 tons into an Earth-Moon transfer trajectory, a gateway for lunar landing, or a 70-ton spacecraft into a low-Earth orbit, according to the project manager. And Andrew, you've talked before about the need for space doctors in the future, while someone is working the problem. As China's Tiangong Space Station recently completed its in-orbit assembly, the country's space medicine experts have started planning to set up a space hospital to serve astronauts. Du Jichen, a member of the Paris-based International Academy of Astronautics and president of the Aerospace Center Hospital says, We are carrying out extensive research, experiments and tests on the ground to advance the preliminary work on a space hospital that can be deployed inside a manned spacecraft like a space station. The value of this project is that it will enable our space explorers to travel deeper and stay healthy during their journey. And that's the news, Andrew. Thank you, Hallie. We'll get back to you before the end of time or the end of the show, whichever comes first. Uh, now, we've talked in the past about global warming and the best way to look at the effects of global warming on Earth is to check it out from space. And that's been happening for a long time. And now new research, which uh, uses NASA satellite observations and advanced computing, has been looking at the Louisiana wetlands and what's been going on there. And it's been uh, a rather staggering discovery. It's lost enough wetlands since the 1950s to cover the entire state of Rhode Island in America. Uh, now, using a first-of-a-kind model, NASA-funded researchers quantified those wetland losses at nearly 21 square miles, or 54 square kilometres, per year since the early 1980s. Now, in the new study, scientists used the NASA US Geological Survey Landsat satellite records to track shoreline changes across the state of Louisiana between 1984 and 2020. Now, some of those wetlands were submerged by rising seas. Others were disrupted by oil and gas infrastructure and, of course, hurricanes. But it seems the primary driver of losses was coastal and river, river engineering, which can have positive or negative effects depending on how it's implemented. Uh, but centimetre by centimetre, wetlands are built by slow accumulation or accretion of mineral sediments and organic materials carried by rivers and streams. Uh, accretion makes new soil and counters erosion and the sinking land and the rise of sea levels. Uh, but uh, this new study suggests that uh, it's a very different story in the Louisiana wetlands. Uh, this is the first time the, uh, the area has been um, directly uh, studied uh, through through satellite data like this, uh, and working with ground-based accretion records from Louisiana's Coastline Reference monitor Monitoring System, the scientists were able to estimate amounts of mineral sediment from water pixels in the Landsat imagery and organic material from land pixels. To cut a long story short, and it is a very long story, the researchers said their approach could be applied beyond Louisiana because wetland losses and resiliency is a global phenomenon. 
Now let's move on to something that was very pretty but also uh, you know, potentially scary. Uh, about a week ago, a solar storm caused a temporary crack in Earth's magnetic field. Uh, you may have heard about it. Some of the pictures made the news because uh, the hole enabled uh, particles to penetrate deep into our atmosphere and that set off a series of auroras, which are usually blue-green in colour. These ones were pink, bright pink. An explosion of extremely rare pink auroras lit up the sky above Norway uh, as the solar storm sli uh, slammed into our planet, ripping a hole in our magnetic field. Now, that breach enabled highly energetic solar particles to penetrate deeper into the atmosphere than normal, triggering the unusual coloured lights. Uh, and the, the show was stunning. If you, if you haven't logged on to the internet to have a look at some of these pictures, do so. It is quite incredible. Uh, they're apparently the strongest pink auroras ever seen by a, uh, a fellow uh, whose name is Marcus Varick. He's a Northern Lights tour guide. Uh, he's never seen anything like it. And uh, apparently the phenomenal, uh, phenomenon lasted only about two minutes. So he was very lucky to witness it. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. Now, there's a lot to be said about the expanding universe and we do know that it's expanding because when you observe the universe from Earth in every direction, it's moving away from us at a rate of knots. Now, what confuses a lot of people about this is the fact that, um, okay, we say that everything's moving away from each other, so how is it that the um, Milky Way galaxy and Andromeda and a few other smaller galaxies are all, all moving together. Well, that's uh, because they are localised events and they're being affected by their own gravity. But when you step back and look at the bigger picture, it's a different story. Everything is moving away from everything else. So what's happening exactly? Well, there have been many theories. Uh, the one that seems to stand out is that the fabric of space itself is expanding. That's the only valid option that's been uh, demonstrated by a full suite of data supporting both the general theory of relativity and the astrophysical distribution and properties of all the galaxies observed. And it became apparent very quickly, uh, as early as the 1930s, that there was no two ways about it. The universe is expanding. And the fact that redshift is an uh, of an object matched up to the distance relation and the observed expansion rate, as well as it did, no matter how far away the object was, helped confirm that. And um, yeah, eventually, as uh, we've discussed uh, on Space Nuts, uh, we will reach a point in time where we are so far from everything, we won't be able to see anything. Quite an incredible thought. And finally, um, I find this fascinating, uh, the universe doesn't appear to be as dark and gloomy as, uh, as we first thought, although based on that previous story, it eventually will be. Uh, according to a, a new study sh uh, scheduled to be published in the Astrophysical Journal, scientists have determined that outer space isn't pitch black at all. Uh, it's actually filled with light. And while we all know that stars emit plenty of visible light, we generally assume that space overall is black. Uh, well, according to astronomer Todd Lauer of, the uh, of Arizona's National uh, Optical Astronomy Observatory and a team of researchers, they've uh, been studying light in deep space through NASA's New Horizons mission. 
a project uh, whose initial subject was Pluto, which talked about before. But after completing a six-month residency at the dwarf planet, the New Horizons spacecraft was sent into deep, deep space and it's currently about uh, 4 billion miles from Earth. At that distance, away from the sun, it's the perfect spacecraft to capture images of the true darkness of space. And the bottom line is that it's not as dark and gloomy as we first thought. Uh, They've found light. They've found lots of it out there. Uh, What is mysterious is where the light's coming from. And at this point, they're not real sure. Uh, The theory is it might be from uh, stars or galaxies we haven't discovered yet. That's just about it for another week. Don't forget to visit us online at our website, spacenuts.io, where you can listen to uh, back episodes of Astronomy Daily and the latest episode of Space Nuts uh, should be there right now or very soon if it isn't already with Professor Fred Watson. Uh, And it's all about audience questions. So uh, log into spacenuts.io or your favourite podcast distributor to pick up on Astronomy Daily and Space Nuts. And check out the Space Nuts shop while you're on our website and um, yeah have, have a bit of a browse around while you're there and don't forget you can sign up to the astronomy daily newsletter it's absolutely free uh, before we go anything to add hallie yes did you know that today is area code day i didn't even know it was a thing why do they have area code day it's to recognize the creation of area code silly area codes first came into being in the 1940s and were developed by at&t and bell and the reason was to solve the problem of a lack of phone numbers. What's your area code, Andrew? Ah, it's, it's 02, Hallie. Are we exchanging phone numbers now? Ha! <laughs> you wish. Um, wishing I didn't go there now. Bye, Hallie. Bye. Until next time, this is Andrew Dunkley for Astronomy Daily. Astronomy Daily, the podcast with your host, Andrew Dunkley.